Hello, everyone. This is the Built with Django podcast. Uh, and today, on my fifth episode, we have Alareza Savan. Alareza, would you mind giving us a little intro of who you are, where you are, and what are you working on? All right. Hello, Russell. Uh, thanks for having me on the on your podcast, Built with Django. Uh, I'm Alareza Savan, mostly to give a little bit easier life for people. Just call me Ali. I'm a Django developer, mostly from background. And goes back to, I think I met Django around, I think 20, 12 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. I work in a bunch of different side projects aside from the full-time job that I have in another company where I work as a head of engineer. But my side project or any full-time project that I get on, my first weapon of choice will be Django and Python since I have the most comfortability. With it. First of all, let me say, I love your name. I think Alereza is a very cool name. Thanks. Sure. And okay, so... Django developer is awesome. Love Django. Hopefully everyone who's listening love Django. So let me ask you a couple of questions regarding your personal experience with Django and just general, in general. It seems like you you said that you found Django about 12 years ago. Would you say that's what where your programming journey started or did you like start learning even before? My journey started, I think, back in, the, I was much younger. Uh, I would say, I think I started programming around 2003, 2004. And mostly was uh, the first thing that I learned was uh, the language C. Back in days, uh, I would say where I grew up, there wasn't much of exposure to programming or anything like that. I didn't know much people about it. And I think the only way that I heard about programming was mostly of my mother, because even before I was uh, born, uh, she had experiences uh, programming. But when I got exposure to it, so I, I learned the first language was C. And then I found out about other languages, Visual Basic, .NET. That, .NET wasn't that. Time. I think I just found out the Visual Basic Studio or something that it could have been forms. But I wasn't really interested in UI languages. I really, all the time, I liked regarding thing, building things. For, now we call it backend. That time there was no name for it backend. It was just console programs that would call it. But I got interested in web development when I first uh, made my first uh, blog. It was a uh, blogging engine back time. Uh, I forgot the name. It was an Iranian one. I don't know if it exists or not yet. So I created my blog. But the thing is that in my back of my head, I said, ah, I want to know how this thing works, actually. How come I can make so many blogs on the same website? And that was a thing in my head. I Then later, I got pursued in a bunch of other things. I learned HTML, CSS. So by the time I think I, I got to Django, I got into, introduced to web development. Well, the... The usual gang, HTML was back then. There was no such a thing. It was, but no such thing. Of, oh, fancy Ajax or I don't know, JavaScript, SPA or something like that. It didn't exist back then. And you could get an email as far as I know. I, I wasn't aware of any American hosted or AT&T or other companies that would provide or Yahoo blogs. So the, the only email that I got, I think the, it had an inbox of, I think 100 kilobytes or something. It could hold many, I think 10 emails maximum. But so I, I got introduced to it. So HTML, JavaScript stuff, a little bit of JavaScript was a weird thing. People create this tiny snow effects on the pages with it. Yeah. And I said, uh-huh. ah, who's going to use that anyway? But then I got to, I think, ASP was it? I was in Windows. You could find so many things around. So ASP was the first one. Then I started PHP. I dealt with PHP. I learned, I think, Zen framework, played a little while with it and a bunch of other tiny frameworks. I got my first actual project, commercial project that I was able to sell it to a client or get it from a uh, gift from client was a Ruby on Rails. I think it was back in 2007, 2008, if I'm not mistaken, I built a, a diabetic clinic application for managing their patients. So that was it. But 
to be honest, I the thing that really got got me excited about uh, looking forward to find another thing. It wasn't that I was tired of what kind of tools I was using. I was tired of the way that things work. For example, if you look at something like Zen Framework in a PHP, it's just so much uh, OOP in it. Everything is like they copy Java enterprise solutions and they find, try to shovel it into something like Zen Framework. And then there was other frameworks, tiny frameworks that you had to do so many things and yet still you wouldn't know is it still working or not? And then when, once you got it working, you wouldn't know what you did actually. I wouldn't say those things were bad. I would say I didn't have a good enough, uh, good amount of experience in programming or computer science because my field of study back in school and later even in, a, in the beginning of the college was math and physics, but I didn't have anything computer science specific. So I would say my lack of computer science knowledge was could cause me in the, these things to be lost in it. But however, those old things completely went vanished when I got introduced, uh, when I found Django, and especially their, I think, uh, their documentation. Everything was clear. And when I got things, it made sense to me. I'm not saying that Django is best for everything. The thing is, when I found it, it made sense. Uh, everything was in a place. Yeah, there was a like view, model, template, whatever. But the way that all the things get in harmony together made perfect sense. And later, when I go further with it, I found out, hmm. I think this is the one I want to just stick with it. So back once I learned Django, I, I didn't go to, to find other good frameworks. I knew them. I found them. The bad thing with Django is that once you get comfortable with Django, you're going to compare everything with Django. You're not going to say like, you're going to ask why there is nothing similar in Node.js for it. And so, well, the Node.js, they like everything to be lightweight and connect everything together. But also if I built something, where are going to be my migrations? I want to handle migrations. Back then it was, we got introduced to South migrations and later they implemented in the core. And you were asked, all right, how am I going to handle the migrations? I have, I don't want to run SQL on the production or do those things whenever I change something. So this framework doesn't have it. Where's the session handling? Oh, where's the authentication actually? I cannot find anything that the way that authentication is being given in the Django. So it was, it becomes actually a little bit difficult once you get comfortable. I think it's in any, any tools, once you get comfortable, you cannot move easily to something else because you're always going to compare it. And I wanted to just master whatever, I wouldn't say a master, but I wanted to just learn as much as possible with what, whatever I had. So every work, every job opportunity, every contract that I got, was I stick to Django and I had my reasons, uh, not like a step one, I would just explain why we should do this. I even remember I, I got hired in a company that a majority of them were Node.js uh, and they would use Golang and they want to create an API. And I hired, I got hired there uh, to do that, got a contract. But the issue was every team would just, one of them use, I don't know, Node.js, the other team would use PHP and the other team would use Golang and you didn't know what's going on. So I, for the LPI, I said, I'm going to use this Django. It give it just one more. Let's just add one more to the trouble. Maybe it's worth it. So yeah, I built that. I built that API. They use it. And I think it's still using production. Nothing much. I think a couple of times they got in contact with me to just upgrade it uh, and then do some tiny changes. But it still works. So I'm not saying I'm best programmer ever, but I'm saying we made something that was supposed to work and it was right tooling. So it works. That's, that's why I stick with Django. So to, to answer your question, yeah, I think it was a long answer. Yeah, I got introduced to Django after trying and a bunch of other things and uh, learning other stuff. Well, uh, that was a lot because so many things that I, um, you know, I want to ask as a follow up. First of all, I don't think I've ever talked to a person who was 
who had so much experience in programming. It's first of all, it's a, it's crazy to know that your mother was, you started 2003 and your mother was programming even before that. And I, I don't think programming was nearly as popular. Obviously there was computer programmers, I don't know, like in nineties, maybe even eighties because there were computers back then, but still like, the number of people was so small. If you don't mind me asking, what did she do? What's going uh, on? So I born in 92. And she was uh, doing programming before I was born. So I would say, I think beginning of 90, if I'm not mistaken, the language was basic. And she, I think, was getting prepared to work in uh, banking systems uh, or railways. I never got to understand which specific industry, but I knew that was. And I think that the, good, the thing is, back then, I didn't know. When I got this information about her, it was when I was already five or six years into programming. And then it was mentioned to me. It wasn't so, because I think the time that she was... Uh, she was pregnant on me. Uh, she stopped doing that. She, so she got to raising me uh, or the family. She just chose the family over the work. And it, well, that happened. But yeah, I, 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 it was basic as far as I know, the language basic. Uh, and she was meant to get either it was banking systems or the mm -hmm. railway system. I'm, I'm not sure which one exactly, but it was one of them, uh, one of those things. That's pretty cool. I think actually QBasic, was one of the first languages that I was introduced to. It was like in middle school in Russia and they taught us to do some basic <laughs> and uh, we built mm -hmm. like a game. And I, I often hear people, if I talk to someone who's into web development or even not talk, but just see like their Twitter feed or something, usually the story goes like this. Like when I was a kid, someone showed me how to make a website or I would really want to make a website. And then once I did it, I was hooked and then I'm making websites for the rest of my life. And I always find that, well, not weird, but just I cannot never agree with it because first, like when I was a kid, I got introduced to QBasic. It was fun. We built an actual game, but I didn't get hooked. Then later on in high school, they taught us how to build a website with HTML and CSS or JavaScript back then. And I thought it was fun, but it didn't stick with me. And only then in university, I got, a, got uh, I, I was doing economics and mathematics and I really needed to learn how to do data analysis with uh, computer programming, with programming language. And then I chose Python. And then later when I was like having issues finding a job, I was like, okay, I need to make a website. And then I tried some static website. Uh, I can't remember what's the name is. The one that uses Ruby. I don't remember. It, it, that doesn't matter. And then, I, okay, maybe I need to do something else because I got introduced to in the hackers community on top of building a website. Maybe I can do something else. That's when I got into Django. And when I tried it, then I fell in love. It was very cool, but it was 2019 or 2020 and when you started with Django I think it's a completely different world like it's you mentioned south migrations I had I never had to touch south migrations I know people like when I have issues with Django I search and uh, like for example migrations is probably one of the biggest thing that people have issues with and uh, when I search like some Questions on Stack Overflow are from like 10 years ago, like with South. And I'm like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so glad I'd never had to encounter that. So you were yeah. the, uh, like one of the first users, I, can, I imagine. I'm not sure actually when first introduced into the world, I need to learn because I mean, built with Django. Uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Django was first, was it 2006 or 2007 or something like that? that, that 2006, I think somewhere around that, Django came in, was published. Was it 2005? Something along that line. So I got introduced to Django 2007, 2008, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, to, to be honest, sometimes I see a project and they have this legacy or backward compatibility with South. They will have a South folder where the migration is in. So later, once the Django itself got the support for migration, all this migration was in the South. So we'll see, I said, oh, I feel a little bit old now. 
Look at it. That, I'm sorry. This, this package is that time. No, it's, it's pretty good. You don't feel old when you're actually getting something to, to get good at it. If you make your point on it and you decide that, hey, I want to get good at this. If I want to spend my time, I'd rather to spend my time on this. So I'm going to get good. If I just want to go and was it who, who wrote it? I think it was Joel on software. Joel is, uh, that is said, the programmers are like birds that they see shiny things and they jump on it and they and just get distracted. I, I noticed that when I was jumping around things, I noticed that when I found that the, the first time that the Golang came in, it was really a boom. It was all oh, simplicity, everything. Google built it. Can you believe it? Google built it. We're going to use that. I thought I was getting in misdirection. It's good. Trying things, learning things. I know Golang, I built a bunch of projects, but I never actually wanted to put everything aside. And now it's a new thing. Every cool kid using Golang, let's use Golang. Because the next thing that came out was Rust Lang. Should I go and get a master of that? It's impossible. So I, I keep myself to be busy most of the time with Python and Django, all this, this thing. Some people call it, it's a dying language. It's boring. It doesn't have, uh, it doesn't run on multi-cores. It, it, it just hand, hand, it's worse to run one CPU core. So your whole system is wasted. I'm fine. I, I don't care. I mean... I'm not building a rocket. I'm not building something that is so performance sensitive. If I want to do that, I can use some C. I can, there's a bunch of better libraries. All this machine learning and data crunching uh, libraries that exist, they leveraging Fortran or C and a bunch of other things and they make a binary. The thing is, I just want to get things done. Once this performance became a thing, I'm going to deal with it. But I have no idea if my project even got to be used by 10 people. Yeah, or I'm going to yeah. be just myself. So it, it lets me to create things, boilerplate and build MVP as, as quick as possible, get it out, talk with the clients or whoever that is responsible for a project of myself or myself. And that's it. If it's a slow, if it's in scaling, sure. I'm happy to my project to have scaling issue. That's a wonderful yeah. issue. We're going we're gonna to solve it. That's fine. Yeah. It's funny that you say, well, if we... You used an example of building a rocket, like I'm not building a rocket. But funny enough, I believe NASA, they, yeah, they, use, yeah. ja they use Django for their... Obviously, yeah, they're yeah, not building yeah. rockets with it, but it's funny. That's true. So I think Django is fine for building rockets as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, okay. And um, actually, I only had four episodes, but usually I have, as I mentioned, people less experienced. And I usually ask like... When you were learning Django, what was the hardest thing? What resources did you use? So it doesn't very much apply to you because you have much more experience and it's much harder for you to remember like what you were doing when you were just learning. But regardless, I think even if you don't change, switch up the language uh, to Rust, to Go, and um, you still encounter new things when you're working on a project. So if you are building Go Nevis, for example, that which we'll talk about later, and encounter an issue, or you want to learn something new in the Django, how because it always grows and adds new features. How do you learn? Being the experienced programmer that you are, what's I think people might find it useful to know, like what how you try to make it as as efficient as possible. I guess what's your preference in case of Django itself or any like problem solving problem domain. My question was intended for Django specifically, but if it's very different from other things, then sure, I would love to know sure. that as well. Sure. Well, the Django was the documentation was pretty good. And I found a bunch of tutorials, a uh, bunch of things around the internet. And they were describing how to build things, how to think. The first time that I see it, when I learned Python, to be honest, through Django, because I didn't have any use for Python itself because I was yep. doing with web development. So it was, I wasn't doing anything else. So Django itself, I found a bunch of tutorials. I think 
I was able to get some really old books around it, but the, the thing is they were not helpful. I think the first book I purchased around Jan for Django was actually two years, three, three years after I was started with Django, but I wanted to learn something, but the, I don't remember the name of the book, but the code wouldn't work because the version has been changed. A bunch of other things had, had came in, so it was useless, but I, I learned uh, some stuff in it. But I would say the tutorial on the internet itself. I'm a self-taught developer, so things after a while, the thing is the hardest part about learning something is that regardless of whatever you are learning is, in my opinion, that you have to learn how to learn. As long as you don't know how to learn, you cannot teach yourself how you can teach anything, even really messy tutorials or books or whatever. As long as you don't know yourself how you're going to learn things, you cannot learn things. Once you get comfortable, once you push a little bit yourself out of that comfort zone of getting things ready to your brain, once you go a little bit push yourself, things get easier much easier. You will see some people, for example, some really successful people that you see them regardless of what they do. In most cases, regardless in what they do, they are exceptional. I don't want to make it this as a praising Elon Musk or Bill Gates or any other successful people. Uh, but the thing is, you can see anything. I wouldn't see anything they touch, but things they, they pursue, they have this persistency to learn it themselves. They never say, I'm going to hire X and Y and they're going to do it for me. Until they don't learn it, they cannot do it. So it was the same thing for me. They're like learning languages. Back then, I, I still, I'm confused. I mean, how I got started with C? Because C, right now I'm looking at C and sometimes, so, dude, how could I learn this thing? Right now, if I, if you give it the C language to people that learning from some boot camps or this uh, coding camps or whatever, they say, you, what's that? What is that star, that pointers now? talk about pointers but the thing is once you try to do that you will find much more other things much easier because you got to that after that point now when it came to Django it was tutorial but one thing that really was useful I, I talk about uh, lack of computer science fundamental for me was I think uh, damaging the way that I was working with other technologies uh, was that once I got to Django the source code was like the source of truth, actually. Everything was explained in the code, even if not properly documented, you would see what things happen. Some people still, I would say, uh, complain that there is so much magic in Rails or so much magic in that language or that framework. I didn't find that much of magic in Django. It wasn't just you install pep, install, let's say, uploader, file upload, and ooh, everything works. I remember in Rails, I wanted to upload, uh, have an uploader, and I think it was a, a package gem called, I forgot, it proper something, or pepper, something like that. You would install it and put a template tag or something, and it works. Everything was working. Like, magic. I could do that, like, the whole day, but it came to the point that I wanted to change it. I wanted to show a tiny progress bar somewhere along the code, and I had no idea how. I didn't know how it's going to be possible. I, I was confused where the file is actually going to go, how they are attached to my actual model. And I couldn't find it. But in Django, it was easy. Where the file is, just find the class, see the source code, everything is there. And this, the thing is, Django will make you suffer sometimes because it's not going to take care of much for you. You have to take care of it. It's just going to have some constraints. Here's the path that I'm going to let you to deal with. For example, you can see in Django, for admin files, you have to put it in admins.py. Models is models, views is views, right? So it tells you or settings, it's settings. There are a bunch of things that tells you where to put them 
and how you behave as it's an opinionated framework. So some other people based on their experience have decided that it's better for you to deal with that, right? Or the, the, the authentication is supposed to be like that or migration is supposed to be like that. So some bunch of things are there ready for you, but the rest of the thing you have to do it. It's not just install the mm -hmm. one file and everything's there, right? So it boosted my learning really much faster. I started learning really quicker with Django. I think one of the reasons I got much more comfortable with it was I believe anything that I get problem with, I can go through the source code and find out how it works, uh, how to change it. That's probably, that's true. Like when you reached, you, when I started learning Django, I knew a little bit of Python and source code. I, I you know, don't talk about source code. I, I could not look at it. It's just too confusing. Even to be honest, the official documentation, I was, I'm not sure what's happening. I started with tutorials and just doing something and then something. And then, like you said, I want to change something. I don't want to do exactly the same that the other person did. And then it breaks. And I'm like, okay. And then I have to find how it works. I, I usually you know very helpful people on Stack Overflow help. And then bit by bit, I learn and learn. And then when I search for something, I get on Google uh, or DuckDuckGo. I, the first result, usually what I get is uh, the official docs or the official Django website. And at some point when I started using that and I started using the source code, and it made sense to me. It was a very pleasurable experience when I think it's just, a, it's the next level of understanding when you understand the code and you can search for solutions that someone didn't ask or someone didn't answer on the web. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very cool. It's the next level. And I hope that people who are listening to this, you know, if, if you are still a beginner, you kind of stick with the language, you keep learning, keep improving. And then at some point you'll find it comfortable working with the source code. And when you do it's you can solve any problem. There's no, no stopping. That's, that's one. And I was going to ask something else. But I forget now. I, I, I spoke too much. I was going to ask if you if you were self-taught or it sounds like you're self-taught or you have any official learning in university or anything like that. But no, I was like self-taught completely. Okay. Um, uh, to, to extend on that is that to a time through my struggling to find out how to learn language, even though I was trying to learn C, I got interested. There was a, I wanted to learn something that I had access to resources, right? Now I found a book the translation would be the Java reference. And that book was really big, like really big. I cannot, I'm not sure how many pages, but I'm pretty sure more than 600 pages. And I got that. It wasn't like how to do things. It was just a reference, like talking mm -hmm. about Java. And that's it. And to be honest, I started like completely freaking out. What the hell is programming actually? If a language is supposed to have 600 pages and just talk about the language is a, a novel, so what else I have to learn? Because I didn't learn anything from this. So I, I tried to find some institutes to, to teach and anything. And I went there and they were completely teaching some really weird things. Like mostly it was like IT and stuff like that. Nothing mm. specifically on the language. And I, and I, I think I found that there was an institute that they had a, like a course. And they would talk about how to implement a, a warehouse management system. But the course language was Delphi. Well, Pascal or Delphi, one of these things. And I had no idea. Like what I'm going to, so it was a, a little bit difficult. So yeah, I, I took it upon myself that I have to learn and I went completely in a non-academic way or to, sort cool. to, to, yeah, to just be self-taught. Yeah. You don't get overloaded with the official stuff. You just do what you need to do and that's, that's it. Yeah. Let's talk about GoNevis. So GoNevis is the project that you have on Built with Django. It's, I, I think it's one of your projects. You have many, but I think it's one of your mains. So fun fact is that you submitted the project last year. So you're gone by and we're having an interview about it right now. Blog, 
is something that is very hello world like in, in, right now in, in the web. So before when you're trying a new language, you usually have an exercise of doing some sort of hello world, like print statement. Right now, when you learn web dev, a lot of the times it's either like a personal website, let's build a personal website or let's build a blog. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to build a blog, a blogging platform rather? Sorry. And uh, yeah, let's start with that. Like why you decided to do that? All right. My, the reason of uh, going to this as a blogging platform, as you said, yeah, the new Hello World is building a blog right now. So the reason to start going to or attempting to it, in the beginning, even I, before I get into programming, I had a personal blog. I would write things. Later, I got much more interested because even though I was a math and physics student, even before high school, I was mostly in math. You could call me a dork some kind of that, not getting along with many people. But one thing I was really interested in for me was writing myself. I had a school newspaper for a while, a couple of years, and were like wrong, say, or something. So I, I was comfortable with writing. Now, my first exposure to internet was writing on a personal blog or this kind of going forward. I, I think I started also using uh, Blogspot, blogger.com, which is owned by Google now. And back then I had so many, uh, I think the maximum amount of followers that that time I had, I think it was like 9,000 people, 9,000 wow. people. It wasn't like you see someone on Twitter suddenly have 500K people by just writing two lines stuff. Back, back then finding in people interested in you was a real achievement. And I really liked it. I would write shorter stuff, long stuff, teasing with my audience. I called, as you can see, I called them my audience. So it was a really achievement and it was a joy. I would follow other blogs. I would go with them. Uh, it, there was no social kind of platform that people write on a timeline. There was a bunch of blogs that was really interested. So I remember still, I would go every day at their blog. It was like there was like 50 or 60 or sometimes less or more of these blogs that those were my internet. There was my internet. Right now, people go on three or four websites and that's it. That's their internet, right? Either it's Twitter, Facebook, or a bunch of other mm-hmm. timelines. And that the joy that waiting for your own, some writer that you enjoy the reading and getting close to them, it was really joyful. Well, time passed, time passes. And then a social network get a hold of it, like Facebook. And I think... The killer, the breaking was the time that Google Reader, that was RSS feed reader, Google has stopped it and continued to be completely discontinued. We had so many RSS feed and we comment and talk and go into so many discussion about things, but it was dead. Now you had to go back and find your blogs. But where the blogs actually moved, it was either Google+, Facebook, discussion on the void of Twitter that no one knows where things go. Everyone shouting, everyone becomes uh, uh, defensive or people get offended. So there was nowhere. And now if you go to your Facebook account, you will see just an auto-generated timeline by algorithm that shoved your throat that read this. This is for you. Actually, we found that thing to be really interested for you. And after a couple of clicks on following a bunch of people, you get stuck in a bubble filter of the social networks, which is if you, let's say, if you have some kind of political uh, view or anything, your whole timeline is that. You're not going to get out of it easily. You're not going to be exposed to something outside of your bubble because you're just going to be the person that it's in like in that one. You can try them in Instagram feed. Just click on a bunch of pictures and everything that you will see, they like that picture. That's it. Just, I totally agree. I don't, I used to use Instagram a lot. I deleted, don't use Instagram, don't use Facebook. And I hate 
the AI feeds, I hate the, just mm-hmm. the feeds in general. And your sentiment towards that the computer is telling you, we know what you like and it feeds you in the feed. Yes. It feeds you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the premise there is that I think is that you know what, computer, I know what I like myself. Because Google Reader, I loved Google Reader. I used Google yeah. Reader. I followed so many things, so many people, and they stopped it, and it's very annoying. And the premise of, of the previous point is that I know better. Let me just choose what I want, and then exactly. yeah, I'll get But not in defense of Instagram or Facebook, because I don't like them. But it works. The AI works. It knows what you want, because people scroll for hours and hours. Yeah, so, so, yeah. It's, so it is entertaining. So the computer actually does know what your like, kind of deepest desires are. But yeah, yeah that's true. That's it's true. Pretty it's pretty evil, I have to say. Yeah, it's yeah, that's true. I think that one of the platforms that I see actually gives me, I would say, has the highest rate of open links when they send me a newsletter is Quora. Quora.com and people mm-hmm. ask questions and they weirdly send me things that I'm actually want to know about. And that is good. But the thing is, if I'm in a sphere of like Python or blogging and then these things that I learn on that thing or a vote or comment on it for the rest of my life, I'm going to just receive this mm-hmm. digest email newsletter about that. And the thing is, the more that you, the people rely on these things, they lose that kind of appetite to go and discover other things. Perhaps, and then you're just yeah. there waiting to be feeded, right? And now here's what happens. Let's say you, you're gonna have a really tough time as a beginner uh, in YouTube to grow a channel now. You, all these people that have millions of subscribers, they started in a different era. Now you cannot do that anymore, right? It's, you can, it's really difficult. You cannot grow an audience easily unless you become a master of social networking and get some courses to grow some followers on Twitter. Those big big people or this algorithm will favor them than you as a creator. And the audience, they want just to get something interested and pass their time or get some arguments or whatever they want to pass their time. And it's fine. But when it comes to the creators, you don't have any chance. The internet, it seems to me, the social networks, they are like clapping for the big boys or big guys or big girls or whatever to push them forward. Richer, uh, rich getting richer, rather right? than poor getting poorer. So th- it seems that way. You don't, are not gonna get anything. But other than that, what you said, I know what I want to see. And here's the thing, just let me see what I want to see. If I want to you to show me, I can have a decision. I can choose on it. So that that became the thing. So I went to the WordPress uh, for creating my own blog. Even though I'm a programmer, I could create a blog or a static blog generator. The thing is, I really don't have a time to do that. I don't want it to go and, I don't know, Pelican or Jekyll or something and create a static. Yeah, it's cool. You're going to write in Markdown and something going to generate a blog for you. But I don't have a time. I want to just go, right, publish it. And goodbye. If I want to have a picture uploading, commenting, I want to be there. So I, I choose to WordPress or Blogger and I didn't like it. I didn't know where my content is. I choose Medium. I started writing on Medium. I think I wrote a bunch of good articles on it. Some Philippe articles. But what happens was I would just get nothing. I said, wait a minute. Isn't Medium.com about getting me exposure to people? What I'm seeing, I'm just writing an article. I go on LinkedIn. I go on Hacker News, I go on my social media and post it. I get people to. But where's the promise of Medium going to show you to your audience? Where's the audience, right? And then it was just a stop there. And I would, some days I would say some people, like, I'm going to have some visits. And so where are these visits coming from? I don't have it. And the thing is, these people will just find you completely randomly or sometimes say, is that a boat? 
or is that it just some tiny, someone's just messing up with things? And then I would say for six or seven months or eight months, no one having even a single visit on any articles I write. So what happens is that more clickbait things, it's, it's true for whole internet. But the thing is this platform, even though they promise that they're going to give you exposure, they don't. They simply don't. You have to do the work and then you will find medium that owns the license of your work, which is completely annoying to me. So um, I didn't like social stuff, social networks or these things. I didn't want the privacy concerns I had with them. I didn't want to be another, I'm not saying my content or gold, even a tiny hello and bye. That shouldn't be there. I can own it myself. So I said, all right, let's create a blogging platform. The first, the thing is that I like about it. I want it to be simple. I don't want it to be complicated. I don't want to have add-ons there to click, have my, I don't know, e-commerce website and a bunch of partners and a bunch of ads. I go on wordpress.com, I click and open a dashboard. There are going to be 200 kind of different records going to third-party services collecting data. I have no idea what's going to improve my experience with this, right? Now, I built GoNavis to be able to just, just be a blogging engine. That's it. I don't want anything else. And still, even though I have the knowledge, I mean, back in 2013, 2014, I was working on this machine learning system that would give you a recommendation of the different shops or things that the customer will buy. I was working the company and I was seeing the whole thing, how it works. I learned a lot of things. So I can do the same thing. Now, there's tons of library to build a really sophisticated recommendation engine. But I said, I have not deployed anything such that I'm going to be. So going to be just there for at least myself to the time that I missed the way that was blogging was about a bunch of creators on it, people writing on it. People will discover you if they want to follow, they can follow and they will see you in the dashboard. And that's pretty much it. And we try to build it simple, not all this, install this plugin, install that, put this on, agree to this, and let's just farm the whole data and their thing. No, we still don't have any kind of tracking even on this. We don't even have Google Analytics or any kind of analytics on it. I, I don't care about that. If it, uh, my kind of, I would say my kind of measures and how people happy are is about when I get a feedback from them by email and how many angry emails I get sometimes. The thing is, most of the happy people, they would not tell you they're happy about it. They might mention it, but most of the time you get angry people complaining about things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how I get a feedback. And I love the angry emails that I receive from people because I can iterate on it whenever I, I see something that is not working as expected. So yeah, the Gonovis was attempt to get my get myself at least a blogging place and other people that will look like to have a blogging place like that. How how many people would you say have a like a I was going to say how many people have an active blog, but it's very hard to define what's an active blog. But mm -hmm. in general, like roughly what you're what you're feeling about it. Myself, I've in Gonavis, I around, I think, I follow like 50 blogs in Gonavis that are pretty active. At least myself, I follow them, excluding my brothers. I don't follow them. <laughs> Just uh, joke nice. business. <laughs> but yeah, there's 50 people that I follow, but there are many others. But I cannot, I don't know how many actors. It's now I cannot go and look at the database to see how many new posts coming. There are so many posts coming. But I, I have to run some analysis on them to see who's actually active. And I don't know what's the measure of active because the blogging is that it's different segment by segment. If someone is a marketer, it's different how to deal with it. They could post a blog every two days or every day or every mm -hmm. hour. There are some people that keep a personal thing and they don't have a schedule. But I can say out of this, for example, per month, we have around seven to 8,000 new posts that have been published on Gonavis. Wow. Like, yeah, like 
I think 20% of the course that we'll see is most of them are just draft. They don't get published, but later next month they get published. And by now, I've, I'm not sure, I haven't checked, but I think we have over 80,000 posts in a database. Now, we don't advertise going every anywhere, like putting advertising or whatever. We just left it to grow naturally, grow organically. No. So how, do you, how would you say you attract, well, not attract, but how do people find you? Would you do that? In the beginning, I put I put GoNivis in some of websites. I think there was another website such as yours, uh, built with Django. And I think there was another thing, DjangoSites.org, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the first one. I put it in some comparison websites as well and put it there. And that was pretty much it. I, I think, oh, oh, no. I also recommend it to some people on Reddit. I like post it. The thing is, the moment I put something on Reddit, I get banned from it, either for self-promotion or something like that. And it's no one like really. The blog it's a skill. is like... You have to package it up uh, as if it's yes. good for people. Yes. And you put it there and say, but now I, I think in the beginning, uh, it was pretty difficult to find someone to come. So I just ignore anything. I did not want to spend my time on finding people. So what I did, I just, I, we just tried to, keep it healthy, like implementing things in it. Because for a while, I would say, in the first we wanted to run advertisement for it, but we looked at it and said, let's put advertisement, but what are we gonna advertise? You are a blogging engine, there are like hundreds of them out there. And there are really good ones actually. From the end user perspective, WordPress.com is good. Medium is great. Ghost is even self-hostable. You can go do that if you're a hacker, if you want to deal with it. So why did they choose us? I cannot say, yet another blogging engine, try us because we are different. But no, that wasn't, we couldn't do that. So we tried to do what, what we had in mind about it. Keep it simple. Even though some stuff in the back end of the database are pretty annoying complex, but we kept it as simple as possible on the front end side, at least. Limited bunch of things, give less options, do that, do thing. By the time that we said we want to run ads on it, not there. I would say until you have a really clear mind or clear goal on what you are going to build, you have not decided when I'm going to actually sell. Because if you're not going to sell, why you are putting advertisement? As GoNivis goes, might be one of your questions, but as GoNivis goes, we don't have any anything in mind to sell it to someone or another company to buy Aquarius or buy us or buy us out and get money. No, uh, GoNivis also started as a kind of place for us to do challenging things that we had in mind, to try things like our playground where we can handle things. We never looked at it as a commercial product. But not looking at as it not looking at it as a commercial product also uh, damaged us because I got so many people asking me how you are running for free, what is behind it, what's a catch? And I said, There's no catch. There is no expenses actually. The expenses was really low for the first couple of years. It was like I don't know twenty thirty dollars something per month. I would say we paying for most of the thing. And it was much, much expenses. And I was learning much more. It was a learning opportunity for me and my two brothers uh, that we work on it. And people were got suspicious about it, that we are doing some, we are stealing their pictures or something. <laughs> so we did, we just said, you know what? We should put some paid plans at least, right? Maybe some people get more comfortable. And if you look at our paid plans, it basically everything that is in a uh, paid plan, they exist in a free plan as well. There's just some really thing because we didn't want to sell it. The thing is, what GoNimis has become, we still have not reached the final thing that we had in mind. So, but to my surprise, we had actually, I think two or three people in the first week that we got us. So, mm, all right, that's unexpected. 
That's unexpected because we didn't say anything. We didn't run any advertisements, sell any bunch of people. We didn't even send any promotions or I don't know, email to people that, hey, we have a pay plan, you want to join. We got just three. And since we didn't have Google Analytics or whatever, we didn't know where they came from. <laughs> so I think uh, we should, they, people just found us and said, all right, let's pay for this and let's get this. But yeah, I would say finding us is just, I think, organic. People now well, people now finding us through Google, a bunch of other websites, but mostly from search engines, they found us and they've come to, to the system. Interesting. That's very cool. So how do you host the website, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. In the beginning, uh, I used Heroku. That's good. Mm-hmm. I used Heroku when in the, their beginning time, even when they just announced they were first rail company, rail deployment, but then they had this Python thing and I put my Django things on it. But I put it I put Gonavis on Heroku for I think the first one, two, for one or the second year. But I didn't like it because it was really limiting. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to change some of the stuff on Nginx wasn't possible. I wanted to deal with some some tricky stuff, I think, at that time with Postgres or try some different thing. I, what, the thing is, here's the thing. I got tired of Heroku, basically. I wanted to try something else. So after two years or one year and a half, and also the exp- I wanted to increase the dynos. Charges, fine. I'm not saying they're expensive, whatever. But when you want to get bigger, especially if you're not having a funding or whatever, you're not going to survive on that because running for process of your web server to handle much more requests coming in, it becomes expensive. So what I did, I said, you know what? I'm going to run it. I'm my own thing. But here's the thing. I went and looked around. I went back. We had the project. I also worked in web hosting services like VPSs and a bunch of things worked with OpenVZ, all this virtual container system. So I had experience with running a dedicated servers and VPSs or whatever. But still, I didn't like it because whatever I wanted to get, it was it could become easily and easily like a couple of hundred dollars per month if you wanted to get a good dedicated server, not a VPS. I didn't want to use a VPS because I wanted to shuffle more things in it. So <laughs> I got crazy about it and said, you know what? I'm going to buy a server and host it in a data center. And I got that. And I purchased that. I put it there. There's a server in St. Petersburg here in Russia. Uh, I put it there. So the server is just screaming there. And I have Gonevis and a bunch of other. We have, I have two servers there just for processing everything. And then I also have one server for the Postgres. So I put them in a completely virtual private network, a VPN. So they talk to each other. So there is one database, one server. So you bought an actual server? So you have a yes. physical server somewhere set up? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, it was first, it was one of them. Then I said, ah, you know what? I cannot run Postgres in Docker anymore. I don't like it. So I uh, installed everything with the Docker Swarm, right? It's like a tiny thing of the Kubernetes. I really didn't want to run Kubernetes because the Kubernetes alone just consume a lot of things and it's completely different, different operation system, I would say. So I just run it with the Docker Swarm. In the beginning, it was the Postgres, the database that we mostly use in our project was running inside the Docker with a persistent volume. So what I did, I just purchased another one. Uh, we got another one just for database and it just uses only as a database. And we got two other servers there to put it there. Now there's a Docker Swarm that has all these things do the networking and everything there. And this Nginx in front of it and load balance and then Cloudflare sending requests there. And we have let's encrypt that. Um, keep rotating the SSL awesome. certificates. It's pretty good. It's really enjoying when you have the thing, but it gets really annoying when one of your hard disk fails. Then you have to actually call someone to go and actually change that hard disk. 
<laughs> and it's, it's not ah, my digital ocean droplet just start working. Let me send a ticket. It, you actually now you're in deep trouble. But now the, the thing is, uh, I'm not going to scare anyone. It's not a scary thing. I encourage everyone to do that because like your cost will become really low. So to give you cost in comparison, my server is a 256 gigabyte of RAM and it has wow. a two CPUs, I think 12 cores. Yeah, 12 cores, two 12 core CPU, which is 24 cores goes to 48 threads Intel. And it's a HP server, HP 360. It's a kind of an old system, but it's fine. I think five or six years old, seven years old. But uh, the thing is, once you do co-locating, as it's called co-locating, you're only going to pay for the, I would just the, the, the locating of your server in some racks. And that's it. So I'm going to give also the side of it. Each server that we are hosting there, like we have three, we pay like $35. So now once you clear the payment for your code, the, the actual physical server that you purchase it, from there, you're going to pay a really tiny amount for whatever power usage you have, right? So it's much more economic, actually. And you can buy these servers on eBay or whatever. Sometimes you can buy good servers with 64 gigabytes ready to go for $200. Most of these companies that they have these big data centers, they dump all these things in the eBay and you can just purchase them. But I didn't purchase it on eBay. I got it from vendor here that had a partnership with HP. So I got it there and I got it on installment. So it was pretty easy to own it and just operate it. I didn't pay the whole amount in one go. It is awesome. Very quickly share my experience when I built with Django uh, or maybe even before that, I did hear Heroku, simple way of deploying stuff. I, oh, I could not figure out what was going on. What do I have to do? I was like, okay, no, 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 go away. So what I tried is digital ocean droplet. And I'm very glad that it turned out to me that I decided to go with self-hosting because mm -hmm. I learned a lot about servers and stuff. And I don't have any physical service anywhere, but I certainly, it was somewhat enjoyable process of setting up a Nginx server, mm -hmm. wiring everything together, doing Let's Encrypt. It was a fun learning experience. And I certainly suggest everyone do that. It's pretty fun. And in the future, I certainly want to play. I, when I'm rich and I have a house and everything, I'll have a separate room for servers, for server rack and for managing this thing. It, it's fun. You're having your own server and stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I have never heard of anyone uh, actually host you know having an actual server hosting that's pretty fun that's pretty cool yeah just um, one thing to let, let you know uh, uh, is that they are pretty loud there's 12 fans on them and they're screaming loud like read i went to that data center once to actually to see you know, how, how i went to that did that data center after one year i didn't even see the actual servers that I purchased because it was in St. Petersburg and it's a couple of hours ago that I didn't have the time. And it was also around the previous uh, pandemic starting the pandemic. So I didn't want to go, but I just did everything completely remotely. And after a year, I went there around, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I went there and I saw them and they were screaming, screaming just loud. And I said, God, thanks. I'm not even working in this data center. I'm just happy to see this from dashboard, from my virtual machine or whatever, <laughs> but not touching them. But yeah, they're pretty fun. It's really mm -hmm. enjoyable. Let's go back to the GoNavis platform. So you mentioned that you had, an, when you started with your brothers, you had an idea of you want, what you wanted to look like, and it's not there yet. So yet. two questions. How of like, are you active? Is this your main project in a sense that are you actively adding features and stuff? No, it's not. Basically, I would say whenever I get a time, sometimes maybe two hours, three hours a week. We made Gonavis to be stable. 
like we don't get any bug reports. We don't get any errors or anything that come. Yeah, sometimes one of the Docker images just stays alive so long or Celery just doing these crazy things and that's it. Or Redis not being completely able to handle the loads. But that is pretty much it. No bugs, nothing works as expected. So we are not in rush of anything else. Now, I don't touch it because mostly three of us are working as a consultant on other projects full time, I would say. So we have less time. And the thing is, I, I still want to think properly what's going to be next. I know what's next for it, but I want to start dealing with it when we have a proper time to sit and actually completely stab at it. I don't want to just have, you know what, we're going to just do a couple of hours today. We do a couple of hours okay. next day. No, let's completely plan for it. That's interesting. That's cool. Let's talk about one of the features I think you added recently is uh, a machine learning algorithm that stops from you know people posting spam like yeah. spam type of content that's pretty cool again at the time when i was researching i didn't know you had you know such a, a huge amount of experience so what i was going to ask is because you actually posted the code you you made, you made a blog post about it on your blog yeah. hosted with the go yeah. and it's very detailed like your blog posts are very detailed i highly encourage people go check it out and i'll leave a link in the show notes and stuff i was looking at it and it's very complicated algorithm complicated code so i was kind of wondering like if you built it out like Oh yeah, I want to do some ML and let's <laughs> learn to do that. It's clearly it's not that way. And plus you you said that you have like physics, mathematics background. I'm sure you have like more experience yeah. with machine learning beforehand. And again, I, I wasn't sure how many users you have on GoNevis. If you say like you have 80,000 blog posts hosted already. Yeah. I think it's it's getting hard to manually look through things and then being like, okay. It's impossible. It's oh yeah. I'm not saying GoNevis is big. It's pretty tiny. Yeah, comparing with other things. But at least for whatever it is right now for this scale that it has, I go to the admin panel uh, and I refresh the page, wait a couple of, I would say, minutes, and I see 10 more, right? Now, I'm not going to be around my computer to check all of them every day to see what's going on. Yeah, there are a bunch of things that goes out of a hand and later we found that and then based on that algorithm that we have and described in that blog post, we found a bunch of things that, oh, these not the things got in. So we just put it in the machine learning pipeline and they are taken care of. But yeah, it's getting annoying to deal with. We have like guest post, guest commenting, I would say, not guest posting, guest commenting. And the guest posting, uh, commenting. Commenting, commenting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be taken care of because we because now you don't need to people to verify or whatever. Someone leaves a comment, it goes in a database. The other time, it could be another blog post. The other time we had been attacked. These attacks, now they come, I'm happy that these kinds of attacks becomes uh, completely specific about the platform because someone decided we're going to mess up with this system and they designed a script for it. Now, the other time someone was abusing the guest commenting, and I think they thought we're going to post guest comments on these web, uh, blog posts and they're going to be all published. What they didn't know was whenever you make a guest post comment, you have to verify your email. And somehow they were able to do that as well. And then I put them just simply in shadow ban. And they also got, it's really, I would say these kind of attacks are getting really smart, to be honest. It is like yeah, someone yeah. sitting and actually trying to make a perfect attack to just, to what purpose? To be honest, I have no idea. Sometimes, yeah, there is like a scamming purposes around them. But I would say there's like bigger platforms. There are like so many more people on it. Why don't you go try that? Don't waste our time. It's both of us. Don't do that. It's more game for you there. But yeah, those things. Yeah, it's interesting because I already have a feature on the built with Django where you can comment on the actual project. And uh, I, I remember at some point in my pro programming career, two, three year career, when I was building, I, I built a form that was 
anyone that anyone could fill in. I don't remember what it was for exactly, but I was surprised. I was like, I, I thought people will use it normally, but then a bunch of bots, a bunch of computers or a bunch of bad people, I don't know. They just start yeah. using it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I just removed it. I'm like, fuck this. No, thank you. Uh, but, with, <laughs> but with this, with Built with Django, I decided to only allow no guest posting, no guest commenting. <laughs> uh, I, I only authorized users. And I think that kind yeah. of solves the problem for now. And I'm going to keep it that way. So I think it's fine. But for blogging, you want to you wanna have any person to, to write this. So, so it's, you, know, you can't easily solve this. No. So it makes sense. Yeah, uh, true, one question true. I had about this ML algorithm is that in the blog post, you mentioned that your website is built with Django. And but your machine learning algorithm to, to detect spam, it's, it's Python code that you host exposed to the world with fast API. Correct. And so presumably it's separate from a Django app. You just from like when someone submits a blog post, it sends like an API get request or post request to that fast API ML algorithm, goes through a little and then it tells you mm-hmm. it's good or it's not good or something like this. Did you have in mind, or if not, do you have in mind, because it's a separate thing to turn it into a separate product that will allow Correct. people uh, to use it for that kind of purpose. Have you thought about it? I have. And the thing is, that was something that I was looking at myself as well before I even implement that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is these kind of things are pretty specific to use case. It's not like detecting nude pictures, right? That is, well, in every mind, in every people mind, every person, the nude picture is a nude picture. But the thing is what we have implemented here or some kind of text analysis is that you have to build it specifically for your own use case. What is not good for me or my platform might be completely good for other things. For example, on Gonavis, we don't allow pornography, right? Or something much nude about it. But just a second, sorry. Yeah, no worries. My cat just got out of the favorite sport that she has. So she wanted to go out. All right, so I was saying, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty use case by use case, right? So. If I want to say, hey, I'm going to give it as a product, even, even if I can give it as a product, the thing is, no one might be able to use it because, well, in that person product or your product, you might not see the content that I get as a bad product, which is a specific bit for me. But yeah, I completely agree. It can be tailored with the enough abstraction to each usage, right? I would say it could make a good amount of money. If you try to get a good stab at it, because it's a kind of an annoying problem to solve. And most of the startups, and I would say startups, any project, it's annoying. Imagine if you want to send email and you have to actually create your own email server. You got fine to pay someone else to send your emails. And it's true. It's, it's so you pay for convenience. Now, the thing is, I, I thought about it. But the thing is, since I myself couldn't find a, a solution for such a simple problem, to be honest, that made me think that probably is not a good idea. If it was, maybe Google will just provide something similar. But what Google and I think Amazon, they have this machine learning system, auto machine learning, that you can upload a CSV of classification. And then it learns. The thing is, it learns based on whatever you want it to learn. Here's my bad customers and here's my good customers. You cannot say... We know bad customers, we know good customers, and we think this is good for any business, right? Now, that, that's the thing that I couldn't think about it. But if it's possible, probably it's possible, probably we can build something, but then you are entering in the completely a hostile uh, territory of yeah, yeah. much, much bigger players that they are they're talking about billions now. You have to deal with that. And I'm not saying it's impossible, it's completely possible, but then you have to bear in mind that 
you are in the long run. Yeah, I can imagine. You just open up to the world saying, hey, go try me. I'll deal with everyone. Uh, it's, yeah, it's probably stressful. Some, yeah. some customers come said, yeah, we have a CSV file that is like 200 gigabytes and it's completely annotated with our customer's data that we want to learn from this. And you can, I would say, dude, I don't have any, have any network bandwidth of 100 gigabytes of your CSV to upload, let alone to just do some computation on it. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Awesome. Let me ask you a couple kind of quick questions. On your sure. uh, on your Django experience, just for people who are interested, maybe I don't know. What's your preference of function-based views versus class-based views? Oh yeah, class-based views. I ah, mean, nice. the moment they came in, I said, you know what? No longer function-based views, huh. just class-based. I think it comes from the, my background of being really OOP in it. But the thing is not just OOP, like thinking that way is that the, the, the way that you can abstract things on it. You can abstract things properly. You can just do inheritance. You can re not repeat your code. I really hate wet code. I always want to dry code. So I just do everything. Now, think about it. Look at the Django REST framework that they came with their like the model that everything is completely combined together. It's kind of way that they are using a really, they're reaping the fruit of the class-based system, the way that we are able. Now there is a dispatch. Previously, if we want to not be able to let the non-login users to come in, you had to put that record logging the creator on those function-based views, right? Now we can have a mix-in and no longer the creators because the thing is decorators are sometimes really confusing for beginners to have an understanding. I remember back in 2012, every interview I would go on a Python jobs and would say, can you explain me what is a decorator? I said, yeah, dude, easy peasy. But then I found out probably it's a really difficult thing. Then I later found out, oh, so many people are asking about decorators. It's easy to grasp, but not for everyone. So then you have to actually use that on every function-based view that you have. And the time that you wanted someone to learn your code, it was, what is this? You had to put your bet on, I would say, no junior developers, but it's, it's a medium level developers that they could understand this. Because in any time you had to deal with another decorator and someone had to write it, either a super user, for the decorator. But now it comes to be a class-based views, everything in place, shaped properly, everything is a class. So much easier to handle. Cool. Regarding decorators, I have to say though, the past API use of decorators is very simple. Yeah. Like it's, it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good, yeah. Um, okay, so that question interested me. Have you ever contributed to the Django code base? No, not directly. I think I haven't sent a pull request to Django REST framework. They said, you know what? Someone else made a better one. But back in the time there was a bird trying to find shiny new things. <laughs> I had a project, it was a marketplace uh, to, it would pull data from Shopify, e-commerce, and a bunch of other platforms. When they put it, it was like market people could compare them. I built that with Django as well. That project is long dead because so many other issues that I had. Not about mm -hmm. the project, but uh, legal issues that was around it that I had to take care of it. Now, back then, I got, I got in my mind, you know what? That was what I told myself. You know what? My project going to completely like, bulldoze around everything, and I'm going to have trillion gigabytes of data. I should use a web scale. Who is it? Who is that thing? The usual suspect, MongoDB. And MongoDB wasn't working with Django, right? That mm -hmm. was the thing with it. Django never actually, I, I think I have a bunch of comments some places in Django tickets <laughs> going, hey, guys, it's really good database, like a fan <laughs> uh, So there was a fork of Django called Django Nonrel. And Django Nonrel, I tried to be contribute to it. I even made a Django MongoDB cache back in that time, I remember. 
uh, published it separately. But that fork was a fork of Django and I contributed, I think, a bunch of paths to it. So I was contributing patches to the main code of the Django, but mostly in case of it was not the Django itself. Whenever the, is that the thing is that by the time that I hit with a bug in a Django whatsoever, I see so many people have fixed it already. And there are much, much more capable people than me that can deal with that. And I can see some contribution. The amount of work that goes into Django code base itself, the people that governing the whole code base, the release management, keeping it uh, healthy, like the whole community around it. And all this thing is fascinating. And I don't think I'm, even though I have a good amount of knowledge with Django, I still cannot um, see myself that I can deal with Django development itself for a couple of days. It's, it's a different, complete beast. It's different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like I'm good with Django. Like when I was starting to learn, it took me a couple of days to do something. They say <laughs> it's a quick framework. It's built to for you to build things fast. But oh, I yeah. didn't know it. So learning slowly, slowly. Now, when I think of a feature, I'm like, oh, I think I can do it. And I usually do it within a day. And it's very fun. Mm-hmm. But as you said, yeah, like governing and then managing the actual code base is a whole different thing. And I, I think, yeah. I wouldn't say it's my goal, but an aspiration at some point in my, in, in my future to be good enough to be able to contribute. Like, yeah. Not necessarily having a job as doing it, but seeing an issue and contribute. I think it's pretty cool. Can I ask for your opinion on Web3? Have you, you know, followed it, learned it? Is no. it something? No. Is it about crypto? Or like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, yeah. The way they say yeah, yeah. is I started with Bitcoin, then Ethereum. And so basically, I think I heard this kind of good term. Like Web2 was a revolution in front end. Like mm-hmm. you had web one was just like basic HTML, but with web two, it's like when you have JavaScript and all this fun uh, yeah, yeah. UIs yeah. and stuff and web three, they say, that's what I heard. It's a revolution on the back end. Mm-hmm. So instead of using uh, Django or something, you have like smart contracts that, that govern yeah. how action. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah. It's connected to crypto to answer your question roughly. I think around the tree, I also heard not just, the, like this Bitcoin or then crypto or whatever around it or blockchain. And it was at the, some people, Web3 by this point, I think could be many things, right? And also people talk about decentralizing the whole web because Web2, we let users to produce content and a bunch of companies come and take the ad- disadvantage of it, take the advantage of it and host it everything for themselves. Now the web is becoming closer, let's now open it and decentralize it, right? Now I'm fine with decentralizing or whatever. And I don't understand where did this crypto comes in or the, the, the this contract. I had some experience with solid language, with I think it's around Ethereum project. Right? Solidity. I tried them. Yeah, yeah, solidity. Is it solidity? Yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah, so, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I built some some stuff around it. I had to install so many wallets or whatever, right? I think I was I felt like really old, not understanding it probably. But I, I get back to it. I'm not sure if Web3 is a going to even take off. I am I cannot predict it. It could be something really good, but I'm not sure about it. Think about it. The company, the big companies that are choking the whole internet and closing it behind the wall, I don't think this kind of opinion going to go far as long as these bigger, big players having a big foot on the ground. Unless you suddenly, for example, let's say if Google and a bunch of other big websites decided to accept Bitcoin. You would see Bitcoin skyrocketing everywhere. Or the example of IPv6. We are still on IPv4, even though IPv6 was, I don't I think it's like 20 years ago it came in. But mm-hmm. we heard about it recently and no one is still using it. There is your you open a VPS with the IPv6 only without renting in the IPv4. 
it doesn't work most of the time. Most of your apps, most of your thing cannot get connected to it because the thing is none of the big players have started going after it. If suddenly you cannot access Gmail without your router, your ISP supporting IPv6, I promise you in one week, everyone is going to be on IPv6. So it depends. Like also Bitcoin and a good point. technology. It's a good yeah. point. To, to that point, Facebook just did change their name to Meta. So I don't know what's what <laughs> that about. I, I just yeah. heard about it. I don't know anything about it, but just I think that's their... First of all, that's their try to rebrand because Facebook is just such yeah. an evil corporation now. Yes. And I think it's their plan to enter the metaverse, which I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it's the code word for crypto stuff. Yeah. But my question was around, like, if you, you, you said you tried it with Solidity. So you did have some kind of intro and you tried it. Yeah. I don't, all right. Yeah. Sorry to drift into something else. I think one thing that I didn't like about Solidity or whatever this, this thing was, if I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken. There was a gas cost in it that like everything that's supposed to be executed, there is a cost on it that someone has to... I didn't understand that. That's why I didn't follow with it, right? Like every contract or every action that happens, there is a cost. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait a minute, we get used to the free things on the internet. Now we have to pay actually. That's or, like true, submitting that's a form. So yeah. what are we going to do that? And I, I remember there was a, uh, a company that I worked with, the CEO of that company got back to me and asked me, hey, you know what? Let, I, I have an idea to create a system with blockchain. And it was about build, buying stuff, like a tiny marketplace that people could buy things and there was like mm-hmm. digitally own it. And the way that we were discussing was, it was clear that the whole idea of this product is just mentioning blockchain and just created with blockchain. Thanks God, this whole hype of blockchain is coming down. Everyone got to blockchain, like everything. I could say building a pony with a blockchain. Ooh, that's really good. Let me invest $10 million. In it. Yeah. So I think the hype is coming down. It was really distracting. It was really distracting, but who knows? Yeah. I think there was a research that companies with the word blockchain in the name or in their kind of title, they <laughs> yeah. had uh, better performing stocks at the time yeah. by for the word. Yeah. Now it's, now it, the, the, the word machine learning, I think, has gotten to place. Like everything is like a to-do list with machine learning, right? Machine learning, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. We take care of your security. Machine learning. AI, ML. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. keyword speaking. <laughs> and they have some numbers like moving around with this kind of CSS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. I don't think I don't think I have any more questions. Thank you for... We spent, I think, more than an hour. So mm, yeah. Yeah. thank I you very much for such an extensive... You have a very interesting career. You have a, a lot of experience and I don't think I even scratched the surface. So I would love it if maybe like in some, some future, um, we could do it again, something, ask something more. Oh, it was just a f- fun discussion. So thank you very much for joining. Thank oh, you very much thanks. for thank sharing you. your thank experiences. You so for, thank you for so much. Thank you so much for having me and also having me in this discussion. I haven't had a long time I had not discussed with anyone actually any most of these subjects because what due to being really busy it's, it becomes really harder to discuss anything and go on in subject i would say uh, if you never think that I, I tell it to the, anyone never think that you don't have enough experience because whatever experience that you have accumulated through years is that because whatever you had needed right the moment that you get involved with a project that requires much more you can see i look at it myself 15 years ago, I would go and find some code bases, some source code, whatever. Even after, like I would say, when I had a really, really good experience in programming, I would go on some websites and see some source code. I wouldn't know what they're talking about. I would just look at it and what is this? Whoever wrote this, either they're out of their mind 
or they didn't know about programming or were just monkeys like hitting the keyboard or some geniuses. Whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, the problem is that you don't have the knowledge in that domain, the language, the frame. You have everything that you need, but you don't have the knowledge for that domain. Right now, if you have not worked with, the, let's say, a warehouse management system, for example, and you are a master of Django, I give you, I give you the code base of the desk, warehouse management. You have no clue what's being done. Because what you're seeing, you're seeing at the whole process of solving a warehouse management system, right? Mm -hmm. You're not seeing a Django or Python. You just see someone was trying to solve a business solution. So most cases like that. So I, I say to I tell to anyone, if you find a source code, it is really hard to follow and you don't know what's going on, either look at it or just study a little bit on the problem domain, the domain that is being dealt with, right? A payroll system is impossible to look at it without knowing what is taxation, what is payroll, what is that specific country that this thing is talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you are in the, let's say you create a blog engine or a simple a website or CMS content management system, you see the source code and you know everything about it just automatically because you have the whole experience. That, that's the kind of thing that I go to I read that Django CMS code base and everything makes sense because I have experience building with content management system. Right? Mm -hmm. Everything makes sense. It's from top to down, done. But I go look at their Django shop code base. I have no clue what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What is this? Because they don't have the experience in that. So I would say never think that you're scratching surface of thing. There are so many people that don't know. They think right now you have one year experience. There are people that think they're going to get to you in one million years. The thing is, you usually people reach the place. Whenever we reach something new, we say, ah, I'm not enough. And that's a good thing. Because if you say I'm the master of everything, you're not going to go further. You have to know that you don't know. Once you know that you don't know, you can go and further and just no more. That's the thing. So now three years, I think is more than enough. Two years is more than enough. people with six months of experience, but they are productive as hell. I have seen it. Yeah. And I've seen people with 15 years of experience. They're not productive. They don't know what they do. They just create bugs and after bugs and they call a job. <laughs> That's the thing. With it. What would you say? Do you have like any advice for people who are listening who are perhaps in the beginning of their journey or you know, two months in do you have any advice in just yeah. maybe around um, Django maybe in general I would say from my own experience and and also from people that I uh, sometimes teach programming or mentoring them in the beginning programming is from my own experience at least is really hostile is really hostile towards you the only thing that it does it puts you away no matter how much you love it, no matter how much you're gonna, you think you're gonna be successful at it, it's hostile. It twists your mind, it makes you tired. There are gonna be bugs, there are gonna be issues, there are gonna be lack of knowledge, there are gonna be time that you don't know what you're doing. But the thing is, enough persistency with enough being stubborn at it and enough to go, the more power that it pushes you back, you just go at it. You eventually learn it. Right, it's not being, uh, it's not brute forcing your brain. Is that you are just now dealing with something that has changed people, like changed humanity, for at least this last sixty or seventy years. It's something new to our brain. We don't know what it is. You can learn fishing, in, I would say, a couple of days or a couple of months, right? If someone teaches you, you can learn driving. But after some like twenty hours or sixty hours of the teaching of the driving school, but when it comes to programming, we are dealing with a different thing. And it's hard. In the beginning, it's really hard. It's really hard, especially if you self-taught. But don't give up on it. It's nothing to be scared about. Once you learn the tiny thing, once you pick up some breadcrumbs, and you're gonna you're gonna go much faster. 
the the human is like the, the brain is like a muscle you you give it some exercises and then the previous yesterday exercise is nothing for it it needs more just a beast it never stops eating you you get master of and for people who have not they are, don't know any kind of programming language i would say once you learn this language that you're dealing with regardless of whatever once you learn it you're going to be hungry for another language to learn you will be weirdly excited about finding another thing right you get master of node.js and you want to try deno if you get the master of deno you will find rustlang now and you never stop and the thing is you just learn one thing all the other things are easier to go with. Just learn something, just find something, never give up, find a problem that you're really excited to solve. You're going to have, you're going to deal with it in no time. That's a good advice. Push through and you're, and you're just going to love it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, That's uh, very hopeful, very hopeful. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Alareza. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and yeah. Thank you very much for your wonderful you. podcast and having me on this. Sure. All right.